Okay. been thinking about it for a long, long time, since old Buck Rogers was in his prime. They worked and they worked till they knowed what they had to know, and now they was ready to make it go. But they needed a man. They needed a man. There was a guy with freckles, the way it's told, with brains and courage, just 40 year old. His hands was quick and his nerves was like steel. And something about him made them feel he was their man. Ten times he waited while the count went down and the sea and the weather turned around. He sat up there in a frosted ship and a thousand hands that couldn't slip had a job to do for that man. Till the mighty Atlas with a bellow of fire and a brain of steel that would never tire burst on through a hole in a cloud and left behind a cheering crowd shouting, Go! 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 The Friendship Seven rattled and shook and only a brave man dared to look. Alone the capsule shot into space by the will of man and the hand of grace. I am gold. I am gold. He went three times around from day to night, and people wondered, would it be his last flight? Would the rockets all fire? Every man felt fear, but control could hear John loud and clear. I feel fine. I feel fine. And the Friendship Seven, with all its glory, drifted down out of the sky to the end of a story that you'll never erase from the minds of men. The epic ride of John H. Glenn. He was that man. You're listening to CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. That was Walter Brennan with the epic ride of John Glenn. Today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with... Dick Lucas from the Subhumans UK. Dick Lucas from the Subhumans UK on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And to prepare you for the Subhumans UK, here is Walter Brennan's good friend. Good friend. Right now, his good friend, Gomer Pyle. I 
went to see a gypsy woman late last night. Told her everything I do, it never works out right. I gave her all my money, nearly 40, 11 cents. She said you need a magic word to give you confidence. Just say Shazam, zip zap, man, you gotta put a whammy on. You can move the world or walk into the Pentagon. No one's ever heard that special secret word. So if you want your way, just remember what to say. Shazam! Shazam! I went to see a banker with a white shirt on. I tried to get a loan, but my account was overdrawn. And since my credit rating don't exist, I asked him for the money with a brand new twist. I said, Shazam, zip zap, man, I went and put a whammy down. Banker changed his mind, said, how'd you like to buy the town? Made me a VPP, but can't you see? If you want your way, just remember what to say. Shazam. Shazam. Cutest little queen of the county fair Had a pretty smile and long blonde hair She had a lot of suitors like a flock of birds But she chose me when she heard these words I said, Shazam, zip zap, honey, won't you come and be my wife? You can clean house and cook for me all my life Now I know and it really goes to show If you want your way, just remember what to say Shazam, 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 Shazam Went to town riding on his pony. Ah, I love taking my bath. Peace and quiet all alone. And called it macaroni. Oh, two, three, hi, buddy, Bert. Oh, hi, Ernie. Hey, will you close the door, Ernie? There's a draft. Oh, just a second, Bert. Ernie, what do you do? You can't push the piano through the bathroom door. Why, sure I can, Bert. Watch. <laughs> See? Ernie, what are you doing with a piano in the bathroom? Well, Bert, I heard you singing in the tubby there. Yeah? And so I thought I would just come in and sing along. I don't want you to sing along. I but, want you to get out. But, you know, everybody sounds better singing in the bathroom, you know? I don't want the piano in here, Ernie. Well, sure, Bert. What's a sing-along without a piano? It's me. That's what it is. Alone. Listen to that, Bert. Stop that playing. Doesn't that sound Stop nice? Stop it right now. Doesn't it just make you want to sing along? It makes me want to see you out of here. No, Bert. Come listen. on. Gee, Bert. What? It's so much fun. No, it's not. I know you'll like it. I won't like it. Once you've begun. I won't begin. Ernie, I've got to wash my hair. I've got to scrub my toes. I've we, got... Bert, what? could have a ball. No way. If I could get you to sing at all. No. I refuse to sing along. I won't. But, Bert. So please don't ask me if I want to, because I don't. Pretty please? Although for you, I would do almost anything. Really? Along is one way which I do not want to sing. But listen. Oh, buddy, it will make you happy when you start to sing a snappy little number that will bounce you right along. No. Like Farmer in the Dell or Old MacDonald had a farmer. Maybe what's the name of that song? No. So if you use a lot of voice, you'll love it that you've got a voice. And even if the notes you sing are wrong, Ernie. you'll do a favor for us if you lift your voice in chorus for a swinging sing-along song. It will I make you a little number that will bounce you right along. So please don't like Farmer ask me if I want to. That song. Although song so is one way which, please, Bert, what? You'll like it. Sing along, that's it. I quit.
Dance, get out of here. Just take your piano and stuff out. It's open. Two young lovers in the front porch swing. Boy told the girl he went and bought a ring. Hoping one day soon that they'd be wed. She said, fine, but I'd like to hear. You whisper pretty love words in my ear. So he took her in his arms and softly said, Gomer says, hey, hey, hey. Gomer says, hey, hey. So if your bills are high and your well runs dry, just remember, Gomer says, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Gomer says, Russian rep in the United Nations Making a speech on firm relations Shook his fist and shouted threats of war The U.S. man stood up and smiled Spoke three words and the place went wild They'll echo around the world forevermore Gomer says, hey, hey, hey Gomer says, Market day and your hands won't play. Just remember, Gomer says, Hey, 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 Gomer says, Hey, hey, hey. Country boy come to Hollywood, he made the screen test and it sure looked good. Nowadays, he's a star that the people cheer. It all got started that fateful day when he knew just what to say and whispered in that film director's ear. Gomer says, hey, hey, hey. Gomer says, hey, hey. So if your bills are high and your well runs dry, just remember, Gomer says, hey, hey, Gomer says, hey, hey, Gomer says, hey. Do you have anything else there beside ice cream? Uh, I'd better not say it. Oh, go ahead. What do you have? No, I'd better not say it. Well, no, no. What is it? Go ahead. Tell us. Well, I got some cookies. Cookies? I told you not to say it. Hey, Ernie, we play piano, okay? Oh, sure. C is for cookies. That's good enough for me. C is for cookie, that's good enough for me. Oh, C is for cookie, that's good enough for me. Oh, cookie, 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 start with C. Everybody! C is for cookie, that's good enough for me. C is for cookie, that's good enough for me. C is for cookie, that's good enough for me. Oh, cookie, 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 start with C. Ah! With one bite out of it, look like a C. A round donut with one bite out of it, also look like a C. But it's not as good as a cookie. Oh, the moon sometimes look like a C, but you know can eat that. C is for cookie, that's good enough for me. Yeah! Sing! Sing for cookie! Oh, cookie love it! Cookie love cookie! them all by yourself? You didn't share one? No. Oh, for
Here's a piece of good advice. Think it over once or twice. Be kind to your parents, though they don't deserve it. Remember the grown-ups, a difficult stage of life. They're apt to be nervous and overexcited, confused from the daily storm and strife. Just keep in mind, though it sounds odd, I know. Most parents once were children long ago. Incredible. So treat them with patience and sweet understanding in spite of the foolish things they do. Someday you may wake up and find you're a parent too. Be kind to your parents, though they don't deserve it. Remember the grown-ups, a difficult stage of life. They're apt to be nervous and overexcited, confused from the daily storm and strife. Just keep in mind, though it sounds odd, I know, most parents once were children long ago. Incredible. So treat them with patience and sweet understanding, in spite of the foolish things they do. Someday you may wake up and find you're a parent too. difficult stage of life. They're apt to be nervous and overexcited, confused from the daily storm and strife. Just keep in mind, though it sounds odd, I know, most parents once were children long ago. Incredible. So treat them with patience and sweet understanding, in spite of the foolish things they do. You're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Happy time with Be Kind to Your Parents. And before that, some Ernie and Bert, Cookie Monster, and some Gomer Pyle, and some Ernie and Bert, and some Gomer Pyle. Coming up, an interview with Dick Lucas of the Subhumans, who are playing in Vancouver, B.C., next Thursday, June 7th, with Vicious Cycles and Real Sickies at the Rickshaw. And you can also phone in any questions you might have for Dick from the Subhumans to CITR when we are on the air with him or tweet me at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. And the number to call, 604-822-247-604-UBC-CITR. We had a request 
for the chipmunks. Now, last week, I played some chipmunks. The wrong era of the chipmunks, according to Robert Dayton, who was my guest on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. But we had a request anyways for more chipmunks. But again, it's the wrong era. But still, here are the chipmunks with 925. A request on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. Tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping. Out on the streets with traffic lights jumping with folks like me on the job from nine to five. Down the street, man, I wanted something to eat. I met an old lady by the way, and she said she was selling weed. Well, at Trapans was all I had, I was hungry, I was feeling bad. So when I asked her what was she selling, now these were the things she said. She said, man, be about woman, be about tongue cut short and lemon grass, monkey strong backbone and mongoose stone. The leaf on beneath and the leaf on top, she had kidney root, kelly root, really backbone. I can't remember all she 
You're listening to CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And we just heard right there the Esso Steel Band, a double shot from the Esso Steel Band, including the song Weed. And before that, we heard the Chipmunks doing 9 to 5. And right now, we have a caller on the line. Hello, caller. Are you there? I am here, yes. And who are you, caller? Who are you? When I woke up, I was uh, Dick, the singer from the Subhumans. Hello, Dick from the Subhumans. Hello. Who else is in? We're playing in, we're playing in around your area very soon. Yes, you are coming to Vancouver on Thursday, June 7th to the Rickshaw Theatre. The Subhumans. Indeed we are. The, sub, yeah. the Subhumans UK. And who else is in the Subhumans? Who else is in the subhumans? Yes. Uh, the, the same people since uh, 1983, which would be Phil playing on the bass and Bruce on the guitar and Trotsky on the drums. And you are Dick from the Subhumans live on the Narbar to Human Serviette radio show coming to Vancouver next Thursday to the Rickshaw Theatre. And right off the bat, Dick, I was curious, did you ever order from Maximum Rock and Roll? Uh, no, we did a Maximum Rock and Roll interview way back in 1984. Uh, that was fun. I played Risk with Tim Johannan and he's one of his friends who was very good at it. 
Did you personally ever order yeah. from? Did you ever order records? Are you a record collector? Did you order from Maxim Rock and Roll or order records when you were? Uh, when no. The, no. Oh, okay. Mostly because I mostly because I was living in the UK and there's a long way to get records from, and uh, this is uh, early early days when getting letters from America was a rarity. Let alone sending off things from America. It's all pre-internet. It's back in the Stone Age. But thank you. Alan Freeman. Thank you, Alan Freeman. Yes. Well, he played the adverts uh, for teenagers one day when I was a small child, almost. And uh, I thought, wow, this is good. Bored teenagers. I'm a bored to a teenager. And it sent me on my path of not really collecting records, but just getting as many punk records as I could afford every week. That's pretty amazing, like turning on the radio and hearing that tune. You didn't have to write away or anything. Well, yeah, it was amazing. And of course, there was John Peel, rest his soul. Um, he played everything from punk rock to everything else that was like not in commercial radio and uh, really fed a lot of whole generation of people on some really good new music. And your first band, Dick, The Mental, you played in The Mental. Yeah. You were so young. You were so young in those photos. Did people think The Mental, like you smelt like glue? Do you, th- you know, people saw you smelt like glue. No, unless we did. Actually, one of us might have done it. It wasn't me. But our guitarist, he uh, indulged in all sorts of uh, strange things just to see where his mind went. And then his mind went. What do you think about the Mentals gigs? Do you remember a gig that the Mental did at Crondall Village Hall? Uh, yeah, I remember some of it. Uh, it was actually on quite a high stage. It was a novelty for us. Um, I don't remember who we played with. I was a crowd of about 50 people. Uh, we were fairly, as usual, totally disorganized on stage. We could barely get through a whole song without sort of crashing in the middle. And then we just sort of started again, that sort of thing. We had about 10 songs. And it was, it was chaotic. There's a tiny bit of, like, wind in the background, Dick. And we're speaking to Dick of the Subhumans. Is there a chance to shield your microphone from the yeah. wind? That is Let a- me get on the uh, correct angle of this wonderful van we're traveling in. And oh, that's that, that oh, better. Oh, that is amazing. Actually, have you ever had to shield your microphone? Like, have you played an open-air stadium and have had to shield your microphone from the wind? Have you ever been affected by the wind when you're playing? <laughs> um, we played a gig in Culture Shock. It was uh, really totally windy and snowy down in Devon once. Uh, it was freezing cold. I don't really shield the microphone. I just sort of hope I can carry on singing in the bitter conditions that sometimes occur, but obviously not very often. Um, they don't happen in stadiums with us because we don't do stadium gigs. <laughs> uh, what do you think about bands that bring their own microphone? Because a lot of microphones stink. Like, microphones stink. What do you think about bands that bring your own microphone? I've actually got my own microphone. I've carried it around on a couple of tours and tried using it. I just keep forgetting to take it off with me at the end of the set. And it's come so close to losing it, I now just leave it at home completely useless because I don't use it. So it's a bit silly, really. I, I can see why bands do that. I got a case of, uh, what was it, Impetigo or something off a microphone once. Uh, I think it was um, either due to the airplane we took a couple of days after playing it, but it might have been punk rock bowling uh, a few years ago. That's a lot a, of bands are using that, Mike. Impetigo is a terrible disease. Like, terrible blisters. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah, got on my chin. Nasty. And you got that from a microphone, Dick? Yeah, I think so. Couldn't get it from anywhere else. 
And well, I didn't know anybody else who already had it. Shot me. And you are Dick from Subhumans coming to Vancouver next Thursday, June seventh, to the Rickshaw Theatre. And quote Dick from the Subhumans: "Are you prepared to die for your beliefs, or just to dye your hair?" Well, I've given up dyeing my hair, so I'm halfway there. Work, yeah. rest, play. Amazing lyrics. But I was curious, Steve Lucas. Did he dye UK subs in his hair? <laughs> yes, he did. And in fact, I, I'm, being, I'm thinking if you didn't already know that, you wouldn't have asked me that. Well, I was curious. Well, well. <laughs> uh, and actually, we have a caller right now. Hello, caller. Oh, oh. all right. Oh, oh okay. Um, actually, uh, we'll get the caller to um, phone back if we could. Oh, uh, actually, let's try right now. Hello, caller. Are you there? Hello? Yes. Oh, go Hello? ahead. Uh, sorry, caller, are you there? Hello, yeah, this is me. Yeah, go ahead. Um, caller, um, you're phoning and speaking to Dick Lucas right now. Oh, awesome. Amazing. Okay. Let's, what? And uh, let's let's grab that. Dick, sorry. <laughs> we hung up on you. I rudely hung up on you. Thank you for phoning back. Most people wouldn't, but Dick from the subhumans would. Right. You... And we do have, a, actually, a phone caller right now. Uh, there's a tiny caller. Can you turn on your radio a bit? No, I don't have a radio. I'm away from the radio. Okay. Caller, go ahead to Dick of the Subhumans. Well, hi. It's amazing to speak with you. My, I only have really one question. I was really curious and interested to know all the really iconic uh, subhuman artwork that was all drawn by um, basically a guy that you never met. Did you ever actually yeah. track down that guy? Uh, yeah, we met him a couple of times. He was called Nick Lance. He came from Leicestershire somewhere. Um, most of the meetings were just like by the post. Uh, we'd ask him to do some artwork and he'd come back with it about a month later. Uh, but we only met, met him a couple of times, had a couple of drinks. He's a nice chap, but then he, uh, then he like, vanished off the face of the earth. I don't know where he went. No, that's, that's so strange because, yeah, the, the, the iconic, the, the artwork for all those albums is so iconic. I used to redraw those album covers onto t shirts when I was uh, a kid in the 80s. And I, I thought they were yeah. amazing. And the guy that did your artwork, he disappeared, didn't he? Uh, we just went out of contact. We couldn't, you know, ask him to do any further artwork because uh, nobody knew where he went, and he wasn't replying to letters. Uh, there was a rumor that keeps popping up that he joined the police, but I can't prove that. Except the rumors keeps popping up. And that was Nick Lant that yeah. did the artwork. Uh, any other questions at all, caller? Uh, no, not really. I, I would just want to say it's just, uh, it's an honor uh, to talk. The Dick and how rudimentary peni void and the subhumans were bands that really spoke to me as a kid, and I, I just felt that the the music is amazing. And thanks for making it. Cool, no problem. Well, thank you, caller, and do do loop do. You do. And we still have some time with Dick Lucas of the Subhumans, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, if you have any questions for Steve of the Subhumans, oh, sorry, of uh, uh, Dick of the Subhumans, <laughs> who is playing um, 
next Thursday with the Vicious Cycles at the Rickshaw Theater. I was also curious, Clive and Franks. What can you tell the people about Clive and <laughs> Franks? Uh, they, those guys are brothers. They, uh, they ran a very early DIY UK punk rock T-shirt company, and uh, they were the first ones to um, help us get some Subhuman's T-shirt, the T-shirts made up with the skull on the front from the Demolition War cover. How do you control your logo? Because your logo is everywhere. There's no longer, I, I guess, Clive and Franks. How do you control it? Uh, we don't. It's out there. It's on, I've even saw it on, the, on this site called Etsy that sells like yeah, materials that people sell on a fucking swimsuit, a swimsuit of all things, uh, a big skull on a swimsuit. And there's people making T-shirts. They're selling them for like up to $40 a go. They're ripping people off. We're getting nothing from it. We didn't get asked, and if they, we had been asked, we probably said no anyway. It's like, it's our skull. I don't mind people selling them for like five or ten bucks, perhaps, if they got no money and they're doing it on the streets outside a gig. But these people are like setting themselves up commercially. They're doing not just us, but conflicts and all sorts of other bands as well. And it's a total rip-off. They're doing it for the money without even asking. It's not polite. It's not right. And it's capitalist, and it sucks. Do they at least go to your gigs? The people that buy your logo and your shirts, or do they go to your gigs at least? No, people who buy them, they go to the gigs, and the people who sell them probably don't. Dick of the Subhumans, do you have any tips for people with glasses? Because you have sung with glasses for years. <laughs> do you have any tips yeah. for you know aspiring vocalists with glasses? Yeah, the first thing you do when you get a new pair of new front, new pair of new frame is just shake your head around in the opticians and make sure those glasses do not fall off. And that's it. What about, like, a lot of people, a lot of doctors recommend the special strap that goes around the back of the head. What do you think about the strap? You know, the uh, the strap. <laughs> you don't need it. If they fit on your head, unless your, your head's shrinking or something, they'll just stay on your head. It's easy as that. Dick of the Subhumans, what was it like seeing the cramps? They inspired you kind of to write Big City? You say crass. What was it like to see the cramps? You saw the cramps. I did see the cramps. Uh, no, they didn't inspire much of me except a fear of going to London gigs unaccompanied and being met up by some skinhead who robbed me. That was a bad uh, experience. Have you been following me around for the last 20 years? <laughs> What about the cramps, though? Like, you went to the gig of the cramps. That's pretty cool. Like, what were the cramps like back then? Uh, probably like they always were. And uh, it's the only time I ever saw them. I haven't got a single cramps record. I went with a friend who just had a spare ticket. Uh, they were interesting, but I didn't get all, like, into them a lot. And we're speaking here to Dick from the Subhumans playing in Vancouver next Thursday at the Rickshaw Theatre, June 7th. And if anybody has any questions for Dick, it is 604-822-2487, 604-UBCCATR if you want to phone in. And I was wondering, Dick, the Smiths, the band the Smiths, they kept you from the crate, they kept Cradle from the Grave out of number one. How did that work? How did that work out? The Smiths kept you out of <laughs> Of number one uh well we got lucky to get number two put it that way uh when there used to be such a thing as like independent punk charts in the pages of uh, sounds and enemy back in the 80s uh getting to number two was pretty amazing and later you played the fun fun fest with johnny marr he was on a festival have you ever met the smiths and told them that no 
not at all. Have you met any of those people at some of those? Like, I noticed you played the Holidays in the Sun with the Dead Kennedys, the Reformed Dead Kennedys. The holiday. What was that festival like? The Holidays in the Sun. Uh, we've played every one of those. It's been through name changes, Holidays in the Sun, Wasted. It's now called Rebellion. Uh, for the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or something. Uh, they're a lot of fun. A lot of people get together. It's the only time they meet their mates. Um, and it's really good to see bands, obviously, but it's very much a massive social occasion for a lot of punk rockers getting to see each other again. Um, what were, yeah. you, you mentioned you did not play arenas. What was the biggest headline gig that you have played? Didn't you play to like 6,000 people in San Bernardino? Uh, kind of think of it. Yes, we did. That was our first uh, Reformation tour in '98. Uh, we had kind of no idea how many people were going to be coming out, so we only booked one show in California. It was a bit of a mistake, and the show had to be rebooked into larger and larger places until it became like six thousand people, and in what was like an ex-aeroplane hangar or something. It was just enormous. Uh, it was totally out of control. Was that the biggest gig you have played? Six thousand people, pretty much. Biggest indoor gig, definitely, yeah. You also, a long time ago, played with Aatrox. Do you remember Aatrox? You got me there. Uh, where was that? I was at the Bournemouth Cinema. You played with Aatrox. And also, you played, I think, with... Oh, Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, Sorry about my pronunciation. Sorry about my no pronunciation. Worries. No worries. Uh, was that 983 or something? Yes. Um... Yeah, that was a good gig, one of many back in the 80s. Uh, I think it was a, a squatted cinema, wasn't it? Yeah. They were really stoked, I read, that, to play with you. Are there many bands that are so, so stoked to play with you that they are, like, shaking? Like, you know, I can't believe it's the subhumans. You, <laughs> you know, like, you have to actually calm down the opening band because they are so stoked to play with you. No, it's not like that. It's ridiculous to think it is. Uh I mean, people do think a lot of us, but uh, firstly, Aatrox, et cetera, the bands we played with in the 80s, no one was quaking in presence of any other bands because we were all in the same thing. It's all like we're all new to this. We're all doing punk rock. And there's a lot of, lot more equality. Uh, the trouble is with lasting so long is that like people attach long, longevity to uh, some sort of heroic status, and they do tend to get a bit nervous talking to us. I mean, bands don't. Some fans do, I suppose. But the best thing you do is just talk to them until they've calmed down and seen what an ordinary idiot, idiot we all are, you know. Do you remember the band The Instigators? Very much so. Fantastic band, yeah. Apparently, Trotsky taught them about marijuana. <laughs> that is so far off the fact. That's unbelievable. Trotsky was never a smoker. And uh, they were old enough to know what marijuana was by the time we met <laughs> and you are Dick of the Subhumans coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada next Thursday, June the 7th to the Rickshaw Theatre with the Vicious Cycles and the Real Sickies. Now you're playing in Vancouver. Is it the first time that you've played Dick the Subhumans in Vancouver? Yes, it is. Oddly enough, after all these years, first time we've been to Western Canada, which is extraordinary really, but we'll be very glad to get there finally and see what we've been missing. 
and it's really incredible that you're playing Vancouver. What can you say? The subhumans Vancouver, Canada, versus the superhumans. How did it all happen? The subhumans from Canada versus the superhumans. Uh, I'm not sure where this question is going, or even it's not even a question, is it? Really? Well, um, I guess what I was wondering is, were you aware of the Vancouver band, the Subhumans, when you called yourself the Subhumans? But I think you were uh, called the Superhumans at that time, right? No, no, no. We were called Bruce was in a band called Stupid Humans, as was the our first drummer Andy, and um, it became it was going to be carry on. It was like going to be the Humans or something, and then they were short of a bassist and then we got a bassist it was like so there was subhuman like missing one human and then there were four of us so we were like subhumans plural uh we had no idea about the canadian band of the same name at that point and uh bruce's mum did suggest briefly we call ourselves superhumans but it just sounded a bit sort of, you know pretentious so we didn't the Vancouver band, the Subhumans, they were pretty cool. Like, they didn't send out any restraining order or anything. Like, when did you first hear of the <laughs> Vancouver Subhumans? And were they pretty cool? And did you ever meet them? No, never met them. And by the time we uh, heard on, they'd split up, gone to prison, all that things they were going through, um, being politically aware and active as they were. Uh, also, they were where you know, in Vancouver, we were way back in in Wiltshire in the UK, and uh, we never thought we'd meet at all, let alone we'd never ever actually go to Canada because things were very much distant and separated at that point. Um, no, we've not met them. They did ask us to uh, make sure we put Subhumans UK at the end of all our advertising, just in case anyone got confused, which is fair enough. Have you had to explain to people that you aren't the subhumans from Vancouver? Like, do people come to your gigs expecting the subhumans from Vancouver? Or have you, over the years, had to explain you are, hey, we're from England? Um, well, the UK thing was put next to our logo for the first few times we were over here. But I think we've been over here enough times now that people do know the difference. Also, we do have a logo and a skull that the other subhumans haven't got. So we're kind of recognizable just from the appearance of how our name's written, I guess. You were coming to Vancouver, the home of the subhumans, Dick, and again, we're speaking to Dick of the subhumans, and they're coming to Vancouver Thursday, June 7th, to the Rickshaw Theatre. Do you know any subhumans Vancouver songs? Do you know any songs by the subhumans Vancouver? Uh, the only one that sticks to my mind is called Slave to My Dick. And uh, that was interesting. And, uh, of course, people thought that was, people got confused into thinking they were us or us with them because my name's Dick as well. So it didn't help with the confusion front. Oh, that's amazing. And he also did the song Fuck You, too. The Subhumans also did the song Fuck You. And I was thinking yeah. it would be amazing for your encore, for your first time in Vancouver to do Slave to My Dick. It ain't going to happen. We'd have to learn it first. And we have a hard enough time to remember our own songs. Ah, unfortunately, I think Wimpy, the singer of the Subhumans, would have loved to sing with you guys. But unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago, yeah. so we can't do that. But that would be amazing. Or even if he did fuck you. But I guess, you know, concentrate on your own songs first. But if you have a chance, you know, the encore of the Subhumans in Vancouver doing Slave to My Dick and You Are Dick. That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? 
I guess it would, yeah. And, we'll oh, see. and we do have Dick of the Subhumans on the line right now. It's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. If anybody has any questions for Dick from the Subhumans UK, I have had Wimpy from the Subhumans Vancouver, rest in peace, but we have Dick from the Subhumans UK on the line right now, 604-822-2487-UBC-CITR. And speaking of band names, do you know there actually was, just lastly here, a Vancouver band called Culture Shock? Was there? Yeah. Yes, but when Culture, Culture Shock for we did discover quite quickly there was at least six others globally called Culture Shock. And uh, it's just like, oh, well, what are you going to do? It's a good name. We'll stick with it. Uh, we played in Arnhem in Holland once, and there was a, a band called Culture Shock from there who did Jimi Hendrix cover versions. And uh, we went on stage, started playing our own set, and half the crowd left because we weren't doing Jimi Hendrix cover versions. So you know, these things crop up. There was a band from Indianapolis, one from Scotland. Uh, there was a Bangra band called Culture Shock. We'd occasionally get like a very well-dressed Asian people turning up to our gigs, expecting some Bangra music and looking around at all these crusty, drunk punks lying on the floor, half comatose even before the doors were open, thinking, what the fuck's going on here? Ah, so you have experienced the wrath of Culture Shock, other Culture Shocks, haven't you? Yeah, if you can call it wrath, I just call it confusion. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of the word wrath? Is the word wrath, does it occur in any subhuman lyrics? Have you used the word wrath ever? Um, I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I ever have. I'd also say wrath and not wrath, but whatever. Th- that's a, well, again, that is a Nardwar the Human Serviette pronunciation. And you are listening to the Nardwar <laughs> the Human Serviette radio show, winding up here with Dick from the Subhumans playing in Vancouver next Thursday at the Rickshaw Theatre. Did Citizen Fish, your ever your other band, did they ever play with bad manners? Have you ever played with bad manners before? Uh, in a way, we did when we played uh, one of those Holidays in the Suns festivals where uh, bad manners were playing. That's about as close as we've got, though. I was talking to somebody from England, and they said that nowadays they weren't too much a fan of Bad Manners, even though they loved Ska, because their following was kind of slightly right-wing. What do you think about Bad Manners and their following? And are a lot of Ska bands associated with right-wing followings? Uh, I hadn't heard that Bad Manners were attracting a right-wing following, so... And I got no evidence ever that Batman has ever wanted to. So I wouldn't say it was the fault of their band or their lyrics that if they are attracting right-wing assholes to their gigs. Um, Scar Scar has generally always been less, way less political than um, other forms of music, way much more into the dance side of it. And um, if they're attracting idiots, um, yeah, you might get Nazi idiots attaching themselves to the true skinheads, shall we say, are just in it for the music. Um, but I don't want to even try to understand how Nazi skinheads actually think, if they actually think at all. But I wouldn't be going around blaming bad manners for attracting a few idiots. I mean, no, I don't think it'd be their fault, not in terms of their lyrical content or behaviour. No. Did you ever meet Gary Bushell? Uh, he was a science journalist. He did tend to wind me up because he was so keen on separating all what he called the crass bands from the oi bands. He invented the name oi to sum up what he called working class punk. And he just put a dividing line between one and the other and set them against each other a bit, which I thought was 
really stupid thing to do because up to that point, he was just like, do whatever you want to do. We're all in this together, sort of thing. Um, and then suddenly you were either a crass band or you weren't, or you were an oil band or you weren't. And everyone got mobilized or it demobilized towards one end or the other. So I don't think he did punk any favors by trying to control what happened to bands and what they were all called and labeled as. Did he ever go to gigs? Gary Bush, he went to gigs. I don't think he ever came to any of ours. And you are Dick from the Subhumans. And Dick, winding up here, I was also curious about the Feltham Football Club. The Feltham right. Football Club. Time flies. You recorded some stuff there, right? Yeah, yeah. We recorded the whole gig intending to put out like a live LP. But the recording wasn't really up to scratch. And we, we rescued uh, two songs, I Don't Want to Die, and people are scared from that recording. And then mixed it in with other things that we've done in a local studio and uh, released it as Time Flies. What do you think about other recording studios, like Rockaway Park Studios? What can you say about that? Like Mark from The Mob made that studios, all from recycled stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen his place, and his whole place, he built it himself. And uh, he's now, he's working on getting, like, studios and um, workshops set up in his place. It's also a scrapyard, and he's now, um, he's housing... um, traveling people coming along and settling in on his bit of land and helping them build things in return for, you know, nominal rent, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, he's it's a, marvel, it's a marvel of engineering and practicality. You are coming to Vancouver, and we're speaking to Dick from the Subhumans next Thursday night. Winding up here, have you been to many bookshops on this tour? Because you love bookshops. Are there many bookshops in your program guide for the Subhumans? <laughs> No, we're lucky we get any free time whatsoever. Uh, we might have some. I think we're going to go back from Sacramento tonight to Oakland where we've got a few friends. So tomorrow, because we're playing Oakland, we've got a few spare hours. Might nip into Berkeley or something. Have a look at their extensive range of good bookshops. But uh, generally, unless we're there, more or less, we don't get to see any bookshops at all. What about Japan? What's Japan like? Have you ever played with Jism? Because they were on the Peace Comp. They were on the Peace Comp. Jism. I love the band Jism. Um, I've heard very little by them. We've never actually been to Japan. More, more's a pity. Really? Have you had offers yeah. to go to Japan ever? Uh, once one guy wanted wanted to, but that arrangement just all fell apart. Um, the emails just kind of dropped off. The whole thing didn't happen. It was a shame, really. I don't get much contact from anyone in Japan. So I'm not sure even if anybody would want, to, want us to play there at all anyway, which is a bit odd. Considering Where? that bands that do go over there, they come back with full of praise and it's like totally amazing. Were, <laughs> were there any overseas pressings of any bands that you've been in that are in obscure countries? You know, that you went, like, was there a Japanese pressing of some, some humans or Citizen Fish, etc.? Not that I've heard of, no. We did do a split 7-inch uh, with a band from Japan whose name annoyingly escapes me. Um, once we did a 7-inch, a but that wasn't really a foreign pressing or a bootleg pressing at all, no. So, that's not What do you think of... we've heard of. What do you think uh, of mods? Are there still mods in England? Do you, what do you think of mods? <laughs> did mods ever come out to see the subhumans? Um, mods are now disguised as middle-aged men and it's hard to tell the difference. I mean, there's not many people walking around with Lambrettas or all the, uh, patches and that on their long parkers anymore. You don't really see that. 
So I guess they've all disappeared and or not hanging out with punks anymore. Did they ever come to your gigs in the 80s? Um, not really, no. I mean, why would they? They didn't like, they didn't like punk rock. What you don't think you don't think you, do you ever get the feeling you turn on people to punk rock like a mod might come to your gig and get turned on to punk rock? Well, maybe it depends how broad his or her idea of good music is, isn't it? During the nineteen eighties, lastly here, Dick of the Subhumans, what was your favorite thing to buy at Marks and Spencer? <laughs> um. I, don't know, I guess that'd be an emergency beer if they sold beer. I didn't go in Marks and Spencer. You're making me think of things that don't exist. I try to avoid going in Marks and Spencer. Uh, there's nothing there for me. I'm not a middle-aged woman. You know, these things come into it. Uh, like a lot of people did buy underwear or biscuits. Did you ever <laughs> buy biscuits? I, I, you're right. Underwear. Mostly for other you know, relatives at Christmas. It's a good place to get underwear. Yeah. Or socks. If you ever have to buy that sort of thing. But it's usually for someone else. Because you're short of ideas. And if you want to be short of an idea on Thursday night and you want an idea, go see (laughs) the Subhumans UK playing at the rickshaw in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. This Thursday night. And lastly here, Dick of the Subhumans, we're going to play Religious Wars and People Are Uh Scared. Do you have anything you want to tell the people about Religious Wars and People Are Scared? Uh, religious wars is just saying that a lot of religion then and now has caused a lot of wars then and now. I'm saying that all the way back through history, religion has been used to control people to make them work for the church and then fight for the church, fight for the king and country. But religion was always behind the king and country angle of wars. And um, it's whether you're religious or not, I mean, if you're religious and you believe in the good things like be nice to people, I don't think you have to be religious in order to be nice to people or kind to people or help somebody across the street. That, you know, Samaritan idealism is like, fair enough, whatever. Most religions are basically kind in what they've got written down in their holy books or whatever. But uh, when people, were, people refuse to, like, um, you know, wear condoms or whatever because of religion. It's just like, that's nothing to do with religion. It's not in the Bible, that sort of thing. And it's just used to exploit people and make them do things they wouldn't normally do if they were truly free-thinking people. So it winds me up. Um, people are scared. And that's uh, a live just, version. I notice it's live, isn't it? It's the, it's the only version, yeah. We actually didn't play it much live. We just had to play it at that gig. And I don't think we played it more than like five times ever. So it's quite a... Every, ver- every time we did play it, it was slightly different in that, you know, that lead bit, instrumental bit at the end. Um, that was written after travelling a lot on buses because I didn't have a car. I just noticed now generally people will not talk to each other in public places, English people mostly, um, because everyone was quite reserved. You just wondered what was, what was underneath all that building up and what could happen if everybody did sort of communicate with each other a bit more. We are going to hear religious wars and people are scared by the subhumans. And if anybody listening wants to win free tickets to go see the subhumans next Thursday night in Vancouver at the rickshaw, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR to win some free tickets to go see the subhumans. UK play at the rickshaw with the vicious cycles and the real sickies. Well, thank you very much, Dick. I really appreciate you phoning into the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. Uh, why should people care about the subhumans? Why should people care? 
Yeah. Like, what's your thing? Um, don't care about us. Just come along and watch the music and form your own opinion as to whether we're worth caring about or not. In a sense, we don't care if you care about us or not. But it'd be really nice if you did. Because <laughs> the opposite of that is, like, you don't care about us, then we'll feel unwanted and get all sad and then might, you know, die in a plane crash. And then where are you going to go from there? Anything else to add to the people out there at all, Dick? Um, have a good time, be nice to each other, and careful who you vote for. Well, thank you very much, Dick, from the Subhumans. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> thank you, my man. Uh, almost do-do-do-do. Do-do. <laughs> Great. Thank you.
You're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. You just heard right there, the Subhumans UK with People Are Scared. Live! And before that, the Subhumans UK with Religious Wars. Right now, to end the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show, it's here, Love the Stones, a 1965 talk album, Ed Rudy with... The Rolling Stones. So here we go. The Rolling Stones live talking on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. Believe it or not, that is the sound of an invasion. Yes, that is the sound created by the musical invasion of America by the world's hottest recording groups. And all of these groups seem to be coming from England. The most controversial of these invading British balladeers is a quintet called the Rolling Stones. And while they may not gather any moss, they certainly are raking in a lot of good green American money and gathering hundreds of thousands of teenage fans in the process. The Rolling Stones are different. Different not only from the American groups, but even very different from their own countrymen. They are not really very neat in appearance, and one of them has been known to appear on stage in grease-stained slacks, and another customarily sings in a sweatshirt.
They are nonconformists to such a great degree that no two members of the Stones ever dress alike. And many educators consider their popularity resulted from their becoming symbols of teenage rebellion. This is the audio story of Mick Jagger, Bill Wyman, Charlie Watts, Keith Richard, and Brian Jones, or as they are better known, the Rolling Stones. This is Ed Rudy reporting. This is Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones saying stay tuned for Ed Rudy's coverage of the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger is the lead singer on most songs for the Rolling Stones and is sometimes called Old Stoneface because he rarely smiles. He has also, rather uniquely, been said to be similar in appearance to British film star Haley Mills. He was born on July 26, 1944 in Dartford, Kent, England, and was christened Michael Philip Jagger. Mick is five foot ten inches tall and attended the London School of Economics and prepared to be an accountant. He never had any formal musical training and is self-taught on the harmonica and piano, which he plays when he is not acting as lead singer for the Rolling Stones. Mick, you're the uh, leader of the Stones? Not really, no, there isn't a leader. Uh, do you sing lead on most of the songs? Yes. And do you also write some of the material? Yes, with Keith. Uh, you and Keith uh, write most of the material that you write yourself, though a great deal of it has been uh, uh, previously out some years ago in, in America by uh, the down-home rhythm and blues groups. Yes, yeah, a lot of it has. We, you know, we find these sort of American songs are better for, our, for ourselves than the, the songs that Keith and I write, because most of the songs that Keith and I write we give to other people, because they're mostly ballads and things like that. <coughs> well, do you think if I started singing and you gave me a song, you could turn me into a success? It's enough to have to get your hair a bit longer than that, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, do you uh, find that the uh, American girls are any different than the British girls in their reaction to you? No, not in their reaction at all. No. They look different, you know, because they wear different clothes and they have different, different attitude because they talk differently. The things they say are different, you know. Do you find they're more precocious? Not more precocious, they're more, probably more outspoken. I know that you're single, I know that uh, four of the five stones are single. Uh, do you have any particular uh, type of girl in mind as the type that you'd like to marry, Mick? Well, I like ones that are intelligent and ones that carry on a decent conversation. And, and they've got to look pretty too, of course. <laughs> I, I was waiting for that last comment. Do you find there's a great affinity between the stones? Do you fellas get along well or do you have frequent arguments? H how does your life together go? It goes along very well. We have our arguments. Every group has our arguments, you know, about r what records we're going to do and general things like that. But, you know, on the whole, we get along fine. When you date, Mick, do you generally date in conjunction with the other fellows? Do you double, triple, quadruple, or quintuple date? Or, or is it uh, singly? Well, sometimes um, we go out and double dates. Not very often. Mostly just single dates. Uh, is one of the reasons that you do not double or triple date uh, the fact that you're so easily spotted uh, because of your rather unique style of dress and the long hair, etc. Yeah, we, you find it's much easier if you go by yourself, you know. Although we get recognized badly enough then, you know. But I mean, if you, get, if you go in, in twos or threes, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, well, uniquely, your faces are extremely well-known in America. Now, as a matter of fact, I think at this point, uh, appearance-wise, each of you individually is better known than the Beatles were when they first started really hitting in America. I think the Beatles are much more of a group than we are, if you know what I mean. We're rather sort of five individuals happen to play together. 
We look different. We've got different colour hair. You know, one of us has got different colour hair. We all got different features. You know. Oh, yes, no, it's also true of the Beatles. It's yeah. just uh, uh, pretty much they've they've been grouped. They don't really look alike. No, uh, they just got they've got all got black hair. So you can pick Brian out or me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we very we're not so sort of conventionally look looking. You know what I mean? Because we we got um, funny features. You know, like no. Bill's got looks like Charles II. You can't help it. <laughs> In America, it's a young, rather young Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> that was Bill Wyman cutting it. In France, it's a rather young Louis XIV. <laughs> uh, are you rather old in any place? <laughs> only <Yeah>. only <laughs> Penge. <laughs> yeah, he, he's an old married man at home. All right, uh, n now we'll go back to Mick. Uh, do, do you have any particular kind of girl in, in mind, or, or are you going with anyone uh, special? Are you engaged or, you know? No, I'm not engaged. I, go, I don't find much time to go out with girls, really, you know? It's very, it's very difficult, especially when we're on tour for weeks on end. You're away from home, not we're away from home now, you know? It's very difficult. I just, I go out with lots of different girls, you know? All pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound too unhappy about that at all. No, I'm not. I'm <laughs> very pleased. Do you find the appearance of uh, American girls is uh, any different than the uh, British girls? Mm, the clothes are different. I think the hair is longer. Who's that rotary party? Hi, who's your favorite British group? The Rolling Stones. Why the Rolling Stones your favorite? Well, they're different the way they dress and the way they sing. Their music is different. Uh, how is it different? You mean because they sing on the uh, rhythm and blues kick? Yes, rather than rock and roll, which most groups now sing. And do you have a favorite Rolling Stone? Oh, I like Mick Jagger the best. Why do you like Mick? Uh, I think he's the best looking, and I like the way he dresses and the way he sings. Thank you. This is Ed Rudy reporting. <laughs> This is Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones. Stay tuned to Ed Rudy's coverage of the Rolling Stones. Charlie Watts is the drummer for the Stones, and he is very likely the most conventional of the group. He was born on June 2nd, 1941, in London, and named Charles Robert Watts. He is generally very carefully attired and the best educated of the Rolling Stones. He attended Tyler Croft School and graduated from Harrow Art College. Charlie Watts is five feet eight inches tall and goes in for continental style clothes. He is undoubtedly the Beau Brummel of the Rolling Stones. Are the Rolling Stones rebels of any type? No, you know, pe people say we are, but we're not really. You know. We're just sort of kids kids of today. I think I think any kid of, of any day is a rebel. It's got to be. I mean, you were. They say that your fans are classed by sizes of stone. Uh, like the real little fan is a pebble and he gets bigger until he's a boulder. <laughs> uh, was this started by the group or started by the fan clubs? Uh, yeah, I should imagine the fan clubs. I never even thought of it. I think it's very novel, actually. <laughs> very nice. Uh, do, you, do you write any of the uh, songs that you sing? Do I write any? Yes. No, I don't write any. I just contribute my bit, which is not writing. You know, we usually just sort of, it's a collective thing, you know, if we ever write sort of a Nanka Felge sort of thing, which is just, they're our own songs. They're just sort of, Mick has a line, Keith does a rhythm, I do a rhythm, you know, it's just a, a, a thing, you know, it just happens. 
you, you mean you get together and uh, do, do the arrangements yourself? Yeah, that's it, you know, so whatever I do, that's my bit to it, you know. Right. Uh, do any of the stones have musical training? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think Brian has, and uh, Keith might have a bit. Uh, uh, do you read music? I read not very well, I'm sorry to say. Would you consider yourself a Beatle fan to any degree? I met Ringo when he came back from here, very tired and pleased, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, I think they're very talented fellows, you know. Len Lennon and McCartney, you know, yeah, I'm a Beatle fan, if you can call it that, you know. Why do you like the Rolling Stones? Well, uh, they sing different. It's uh, They started a new liking for rhythm and blues. I mean, they always did rhythm and blues. It was always rhythm and blues, but it was never so popular before them. And uh, they dress differently. They each wear different different clothes when they're on stage. And uh, I just uh, like them. Yeah, but there's been rhythm and blues around for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, it originated in America. Why do you like the British group that does the exact same thing? Well... Uh, I just like it better. They, they do it. They do it better. Um, it was never so popular before and, until the British groups uh, started doing it. Oh, so you mean they beat us at our own game? They beat the Americans at American music. Right. Thank you. This is Ed Rudy reporting. This is Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones asking you to stay tuned for Ed Rudy's coverage of the Rolling Stones. Brian Jones is sometimes called Rolling Jones by his fans and he plays rhythm guitar and harmonica with the group, though he has had no musical training. He was born on February 22nd, 1944 in Cheltenham, England, and his father is a former school principal, or as they say, headmaster. He is quite extroverted and extremely exuberant when anything happens that makes him happy or that he considers funny. He is very friendly and most likely the most outspoken of the Rolling Stones. What specific difference would you say there is between the Rolling Stones and the other British groups as of this point? Well, the essential difference between ourselves and uh, the British groups that are well known in the United States at the moment, of the fact, uh, is, is really, I think we are the first to um, really have a strong sort of Negro rhythm and blues influence. We haven't sort of um, adapted our music from a watered-down form of rhythm and blues or rock and roll, as, uh, such as the white American rock and roll. We've adapted our music from the, old, the early blues forms, you know. And uh, actually, most of the groups in England now are copying us, whereas they used to copy the Beatles. Yeah, I, I can't help but agree with you. Uh, a great many rhythm and blues sounds coming out of England uh, at this point. Do you, do you write any of the material that you sing? Well, yes, we write a lot of it, actually. Uh, the ones that appear under the pseudonym Nanka Felge are written by all of us together, and Mick and Keith write a lot, and uh, others of us do write, but we haven't had anything recorded by this group. I see. Uh, material, you know. Right. Uh, it, could you account for the phenomenal success that you've had uh, here in America and around the world in any way? Why specifically have the Rolling Stones become such a fantastic success? Well, we just provided the right thing at the right time. We've come along with a, a very raw sort of uh, music where everything was rather sweet, you know, and sort of Things were getting sort of sloppy and sentimental. In England they were anyway, and I believe so in America too, you know, with the sort of Cliff Richard 
sort of thing. And it was very soft, sweet music, and a, a new sort of tough element seemed to be growing up. I don't mean sort of tough kids, but a new sort of vital sort of urge seems to be growing up amongst the young people and we provided a, a music that had the same sort of uh, vitality and we came along at the right time with the right thing so it's just sort of you know happened it hasn't happened all that quickly we've been around in england for about 18 months now you know and some groups make big records with their first ones you know we haven't you know, it's like in america it's taking time to build you know. Uh, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm aware of that. And as a matter of fact, there seems to be a uh, great deal of resistance to the group uh, at the start. How would you account for that? Well, I suppose there's always um, resistance to something new, isn't there? Right. Always. Always. There's always reaction to it. To every sort of action, there's a reaction, isn't there? So yes. It's yes. one of Newton's laws of motion or something like that. <laughs> it's true. Uh, pop music as well, yeah. I, I've read many, many magazine articles on the Rolling Stones that very, very uniquely for a British group were practically libelous. I, 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 I've never seen any British group described in the way that the Rolling Stones have. Now, I've met the fellows. They're uh, clean-cut looking boys. You've got very long hair, but you certainly don't look dirty. A, a, and this is an allegation that I have read so many times in the magazines, and I just can't understand it. Uh, <laughs> would you make an attempt to explain this to me and explain it to our listeners? It's very difficult to, all I can do really is sort of deny it and say that I am, this, I'm speaking for myself, I resent it very much being called dirty and if anyone called me dirty to my face, I wouldn't take it lying down, you know, but, you know, so when you read it in magazines, there's very little you can do, You're, we're really at the, at the sort of mercy of magazine writers, what they write, people believe, you know, and they've written so much dirt, dirty rubbish about us, yeah. you know, I, I do feel very resentful of it, but uh, I just hope that this time around we can show people that we're not dirty, we're not really scruffy, and we're not thick, you know. Right. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, uh, appearance-wise and, and your mode of dress is not really very unlike uh, the Beatles' style. Uh, just say it's English, you know, sort of English. The length of your hair I is longer, is it not? Well, a lot of people have long hair this way in England. Not everybody, not all the young people do, but uh, it's pretty well accepted, you know, so if people want to grow their hair long, you know, they're not laughed at anymore in England, you know. It, they say the way to tell the difference between a boy and a girl in England, since they both have long hair and tight pants, if the pants are tighter and the hair is longer, it's a boy. Well, there you go. <laughs>